only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. This uh, this sheet that I handed out is basically just a kind of a, a structure for what we're going to do. It, it primarily is setting before you. Just a little slice of how Trinitarian our salvation is. How Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are uh, involved individually and uniquely and yet as one in our salvation. Uh, We're going to talk about the Trinity as a preview, in a way, of talking about the Incarnation. I think... We can only understand the incarnation of Christ against the backdrop of who is God himself. Um, It's certainly the case, as several have pointed out most recently, uh, a book I've been reading some is Robert Letham, uh, as he talks even about past Reformed theologians, uh, for instance, Charles Hodge, who devotes some 250 pages to the doctrine of God, and then just a little tiny bit on, on the Trinity. Uh, the same is true of of uh, John uh, of uh, Jim Packer's book on knowing God. Of the several hundred pages, only like seven pages are devoted to the Trinity. And he, he talks about this of how, uh, for all of its uh, problems and issues, the Eastern Church has emphasized the Trinity more than the Western Church. And there's a lot that we can learn from the Eastern Church in this. But just to, uh, the reason I've got this in front of you, and then you'll notice on the back, just a few verses at the bottom uh, that talk about the mutual work of either Father and Son, Son and Spirit. Uh, It may be all three. It may be just two. But this just gives you a taste. I I put uh, several words in my uh, little study thing that I have on my computer and then just followed through the New Testament and, and gave you this. Uh, this should keep you busy for the next 10 years or so. But, um, <clears throat> but anyway, it does show you how united God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are in our, in our salvation and how Trinitarian, uh, e- even if, if they're not all three spoken of in every one of these passages, how constantly Trinitarian our salvation is. And must never be disregarded in our uh, thinking about God. So we'll uh, look at a a few of these passages to begin with, and then uh, we'll get into this subject of the Trinity. Very familiar, of course, is Matthew 3. And in, in the coming of Christ is the great revelation of the Trinity. And it's only right that it should be. As you look back into the Old Testament, we'll look some at this in the next few weeks, you can see beginning evidences, hints at the Trinity, uh, Trinity uh, the one God, three persons. But its full revelation awaited 
the one who himself, it says in John 1.18, is the one who expounds God to us. Okay? So only, only uh, perfect and wonderful that this one who comes to reveal the glory of God would also reveal this wonderful inner structure, as it, as it were, of the very being of God, the way God is in community. Uh, and in, in his coming, uh, the very baptism of Christ begins to open this up as we see all three persons involved. In the great ending of Matthew uh, is the declaration that, that all people will be baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <clears throat> So let's read then, Matthew 3. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then in Matthew 28, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And in John 14 and 15, in the Upper Room Discourse, notice the interplay of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That is to replace Jesus in a sense, not to replace, but to come alongside of them as Jesus was there with them. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So he's being sent in Christ's name, yet the Father is sending him. And his focus is to bring to mind all that the Son has said, Jesus has said. And then notice the different emphasis in the next passage. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. This wonderful interplay just in these few verses in John of the Father sending, the Son sending, the Father sending in His name, the Son sending Him from the Father, and the focus that the the Spirit brings upon the Son in His ministry. Just, we won't read all of them, but uh, Romans 8, 2. The law, or this means the principle uh, of the Spirit of life, the powerful principle of the Spirit of life, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Look at this. God the Father has done this. God the Father sends His Son. His Son has come in the likeness of sinful flesh. And yet, and, and we are set free in Christ Jesus. But who has done that? The Spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus. Who do we walk according to? We walk according to the Spirit. 
So again and again in Scripture, you will see this vital involvement of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in our salvation. Romans 8, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So he's the Spirit of God. He's the Spirit of Christ. But then he says in verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So it's almost interchangeable. If the Spirit is in you, then Christ dwells in you. He is the Spirit of Christ. He is the Spirit of God. Therefore, God dwells in you. So uh, let me just read one more, and that's the next to the last one. And the rest of these bear reading as well, but we just don't have time for them all. <clears throat> and this is just just a representation, right? We've got all those in the back. <laughs> Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And there, as as normal, God gets uh, the Father gets the name of God where Jesus gets the name of Lord. And as we've said before, if anybody, a lot of times people worry about the fact that Jesus is not called God as much as the Father is called God, but then God could be, the Father could be kind of left out, as it were, if that were the case, saying, why did he get the name Yahweh and I didn't, right? Because Yahweh is translated as Lord in the Old Testament. And, and this, this is given to Jesus as Yahweh, the equivalent of the Lord. And so both are exalted in, in a magnificent way in the Scriptures. Well, let's pray and see if we can tackle some of this. <clears throat> oh, Lord, <clears throat> we, we enter into uh, well, the most glorious thing, uh, the, the, the highest thoughts any human being could have, seeking to think about the God who is, the God who has revealed himself in Christ Jesus. Lord, we are not to formulate any idea of God on our own. We are not to bring an idea of God. Lord, you reveal yourself to us. You reveal yourself to us supremely in Jesus Christ. And, and you reveal yourself as the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as one God, yet in a community of persons. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we can stand on the shoulders of the church, which over 2,000 years has sought to understand who you are, who you reveal yourself to be. And Lord, we thank you that we can garner from the study and the consideration of godly and wise men throughout history who have grappled with the biblical materials uh, to try to get at who is this God, what is he, and what does it mean to us. So bless us, Lord, as we come uh, to this uh, most holy subject of God himself, and bless us that we may grow in grace through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> now, for most of us, uh, it is just hard to think about triunity because it's it's beyond our 
our, our thought to, we, we generally think of God as either one or, or three. Uh, we, we tend to think of him in a way that's been called uh, modalism in the past. This means that God exists in just different modes. He was first in the mode of uh, the Father, and, and in that he created. Then he came in the mode of the Son, in which he redeemed. Then he came in the mode of the Holy Spirit, in which he sanctified us. So this has been a, a common problem. It's almost that these were different versions, you see, of the one God. And things like patropassionism, which means the, the suffering of the Father would be a result of that because the Father actually is really the Father in the Son, but He's just appearing as the Son, and then He appears as the Spirit. But this, this was done to guard the oneness of God to guard the fact that God cannot be split in any way, divided in any way. Uh, water illustration is modal, okay? Uh, ice, uh, liquid, vapor, but it's all water. That's a modal, uh, you know, her- heretical illustration of God um, because he's just appearing in different forms, you see, but they're not really three uh, separate persons. Um, The other danger, though, is what we'd call tritheism, that there'd be three gods, right? Three gods up there, and there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and they all kind of make up the one God, almost like a piece of pie, you know, and there are three parts, and you add them all up, and that makes God. Um, Or they're all somehow... uh, Somehow God, but they are not one. So we, we tend to do one or the other. We, we tend to go over the cliff this way or that way. But we have to see, and this is the most amazing thing, that in each person there is what Calvin called autotheos. That is, God in himself. That is, all of God in terms of his being is in the Father. All of God, in terms of His being, is in the Son. All of God, in terms of His being, is in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Gerald Bray talks about it this way, that they all occupy the same divine space. (laughs) That's a way to try to get at it. Not, Not that Spirit can take up space like we do, of course, but that all three take up the same divine space so that they are co-equal in their divinity. So to encounter one is to know the others. So Jesus could say in John 14, if you know me, you know the Father. Now think what that means. If you know me, you know the Father. If, If you come into contact and explore and know me, you know the Father as well because he, I, I am in being the same as him. And many times Jesus says, I and the Father are one. He is in me. I am in him. And so uh, writers talk about the inner penetration of the persons in the Trinity, how they are uh, 
enter into each other's lives uh, or into each other's being and share the same being. Let me read a little bit from uh, Tim Chester. <clears throat> from, and this, this has to do particularly with the community that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have enjoyed. Now, this is, this is the part that I want to stress this morning is, and, and, and this is probably the part that no doubt in the Western church has been de-emphasized until maybe the last hundred years or even 50 years. Uh, and that is the, the happy, glorious community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity. That's because the Western church has by and large tried to emphasize the oneness of God at the expense of the community of God or the threeness of God. And when you read the New Testament, there's this constant, wonderful interplay that Jesus speaks of between him and the Father, uh, particularly in John 17, where he talks about how he had that, that the Father loved him before the world began. Get a little glimpse into this relationship. He says that you will, you will give me the glory that I had with you before the world began. We read in John 1.1 1, 1, that he was God and yet he was with God. So there's this community, there's this relationship. And in fact, this community and relationship of love, Jesus says that the love that you have for me, I put this in them that they will have this love. So the inner... The intertrinitarian love and fellowship that is in, has been enjoyed from all eternity, it, it's as though it opens itself up and we're brought in to experience that love. And as we're going to see, it's because, only because there is such a love within God himself that, number one, we could even have a relationship with God. And number two, that we can have a relationship among ourselves. It's because of who God is as this God who is one God having one nature and yet within himself being a community of love. It says that uh, Tim Chester writes this, from all eternity, the Trinity has existed in love. God is not a solitary individual, but a divine community. God is persons in relationship. God is persons in relationship. And so the Father and the Son and the Spirit mutually indwell one another. As the Son says, the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. Therefore, to see the Son is to see the Father. And so Jesus says in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. And so you could say this, that each person in the Trinity shares the life of the other two. Each person, the being of the one, in each person, the being of the one God is fully manifested. So you have nothing left over of God when you are focused upon the Son because He is fully God have nothing left over of God when you're focusing on the Father. He is fully God. The same with the Spirit. 
that they share in the life. Each shares in the life of the other two. And so the eternal God in himself is a mutually indwelling, loving community. Now, as you think about uh, this God living in eternal community, in a relationship of love, I've thought of it in this way of the nights that I have spent sometimes with other other people, a group of people, and, and you've had these nights too where you... You laughed probably for three straight hours, you know. You laughed until your, your, your mouth ate, you know. Your jaws were hurting because you laughed so hard and so wonderful. Then there were times of sharing and maybe even in times of tears and opening up to one another and, and just think the whole night was so rich and glorious. You think, I'll never forget that night. It was so amazing how we experienced fellowship together and happiness together. If you could... Multiply that by like a thousand or a million and project it back into eternity, then perhaps you could get a tiny picture of the eternal happiness and joy of God in perfect love forever. That's why Jonathan Edwards made this statement years ago, and now I have to translate it a little bit, but he says, uh, the felicity of God lies mainly in his society. Now, felicity means happiness. The happiness of God lies largely in his fellowship, in the communion that he has, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, think about this. God makes man in his image. Genesis chapter 1, looking back with the revelation of the Trinity so fully in the New Testament, we begin to discern different statements in the Old Testament that that point to this. And I think one is uh, Genesis 1 where God says, let us make man in our image. Here's the interesting thing. The triune God makes man in his image. The triune God living in eternal fellowship. What's the most stunning statement he makes in in the second chapter? It's not good that man should be alone, Right? Duh, yeah, made in the image of God who has eternal fellowship, who is communion. God is relationship. God is family. And so the bearing that it has on who we are as human beings to consider that this God is so united in his community that he is one God. And the three are not lost in the one, and the one is not lost in the three. So that uh, a unity, for instance, in the church of gifts, there is to be this unity and yet diversity. That's just like God. He is united so much the case that they share one one nature, one being, and yet the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, and the Holy Spirit is not the other two. It is the Son alone who takes flesh upon him, who takes flesh to himself, becomes a man and dies and is resurrected and continues man and God forever. That is not the Father. That is not the Spirit. That is the Son that does that. So there is this distinction between them. The Son is not the one who begets. It is the Father who eternally begets the Son. How can we understand that? I can't, okay? 
But eternally, He always was the Father because there was always a Son. He was always the Son because there was always a Father. And the Spirit proceeds from Father and Son. And so there is this wonderful unity and yet wonderful distinction. And they must be held together at all times. Never to think of one without the other. And there's, that's probably where we fall down a lot of times in our own worship, is to uh, be thinking of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the fullness and richness of their uh, communal fellowship and praising God in that way. And so uh, here, Latham is talking uh, about Gregory Nanzianzen, okay? Uh, there were in the area of Asia, or it's now Turkey, known at that time as Cappadocia. There were three guys. There was a Gregory of Nisa and Basil, and then another Gregory. One of the Gregories and Basil were brothers. So just think of two Gregories and a Basil, like a short order cook at a Waffle House. You know, I'll take two Gregories and a Basil. Uh, maybe you'll remember that, the two Gregories and a Basil. But they did a lot to, to move us forward in our understanding of, of the Trinity. Uh, we need, as he says, Gregory of Nanzian, uh, Nanzianzen, we need to recognize the equal ultimacy of the being of God and the three persons. Uh, some have said that God is beyond personality, and by that they really mean that he's kind of distant and and wouldn't stoop to personality almost, that he's impersonal, he's beyond personality. But in fact, it's the opposite. He is supremely personal. He is more than personal, as C.S. Lewis himself argues. C.S. Lewis would say he's super personal because he is community. So to think of personhood or, or think of relationship it's wonderful that we can root this uh, in God himself, who is a communion of three persons. So he is, God is three, as Lethem says, irreducibly distinct persons in indivisible union. And so they, uh, the, the, the three subjects have a consciousness in which they are perfectly, I love this phrase, perfectly interior to one another. You see, we, we always talk about trying to enter into one another's feelings and enter into one another's lives. And isn't it amazing that they have a perfect interior to one another, a perfect interpenetration of one another, a perfect moving out of each of them, moving out of himself into the other. And that forever. So everything we know about relationship is really found in God himself from all eternity. So that though the, 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 the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are identical in being, each person is the whole, whole God. The three together are not more God than anyone by himself. You have the whole God in the Father, the whole God in the Son, the whole God in the Spirit. And yet, they mutually indwell one another. 
they mutually enter into one another's lives, in, in, at least putting it in a way that we can understand that. And I want to give you this uh, quote uh, by Gregory that, uh, that Calvin himself said, I find great delight in. In other words, he thought this really says it as it should be said. This is that uh, Gregory of Nazianzen, <laughs> okay? No sooner do I conceive of the one than I'm illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them than I'm carried back to the one. When I think of any one of the three, I think of him as the whole. And my eyes are filled and the greater part of what I am thinking escapes me. I cannot grasp the greatness of that one so as to attribute a greater greatness to the rest. In other words, he is infinitely great even as the whole are infinitely great. When I contemplate the three together, I see but one torch and I cannot divide or measure out the undivided light. And so in this marvelous way, uh, he talks about the way we have to hold them together, how we have to think of three and one and one and three and constantly we're back and forth in this consideration. C.S. Lewis writes this, The words, God is love, have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has for another person. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love. I think that's one of the great statements ever. Uh, And you've heard us talk about that before as we've tried to get at what does it mean that from all eternity God is love. And if God was a, uh, was single, there was no personality or no persons in God, and God created man and then only, only then began to have relationship, well then he, he made something that gave him something that he never had before, you know. God was not complete in himself. He had no relationship until he made something with, with which he could have relationship. What's wonderful about God is he was perfect in his relationship, perfect in his happiness. He didn't need anything. He overflowed so that the Trinity would open up its beauty and its glory and its relationship to many creatures. That's the glory of Christianity is that God has opened himself up to embrace a multitude of creatures, to enter into the love that the Father has with the Son and the Son with the Father and they for the Holy Spirit. And so there is this interpenetration of, of God. Each person is intentionally open to the others and directed towards them in a love which is total and infinite and that each person holds on to nothing for himself, but is given wholly to the others. Think of that within the Godhead. This is why, this is, this is amazing in Philippians 2, when it says that the Son did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. This was not a new thing for him, so to speak. This was not something that what we see manifested in Christ, who, of course, is giving us a perfect picture of God, 
this Christ who would humble himself and count others as more important than himself, and even to the point of sacrifice, even to the point of the cross, which he writes this to to Philippi, and this was a Roman colony, and crucifixion would be horrible to them. It would be the lowliest thing. But, But notice, when he does not regard equality thing, uh, God a thing to be grasped, but poured himself out. He revealed who God was. He revealed the very character of God in this. That, and not only toward us, but God, the Son, and how he regarded the other persons of the Trinity was always going out of himself toward them and they out of themselves toward him. The wonderful interaction and the wonderful giving of one to the other. Only this complete Trinitarian unity and knowledge, uh, this is by Stanislaw, a a Greek thinker, Um, only this complete Trinitarian unity and knowledge explained the joy God has in knowing and loving other persons too. Because he has this infinite joy in the persons toward each other. And in turn, the joy of these other persons have in knowing God and one another in union. If there were no Trinitarian love, neither would there be knowledge of God or any possibility of knowledge and love between God and created persons. Because God could only be personal toward us if He is personal within Himself. That's why in Islam there is no personal relationship with God. None. In fact, the statement that we are made in God's image so as that we can have a relationship to God is blasphemy in Islam. He is removed from us. He has no capacity for that. He has no desire for that. He does not enter into our life and our world. God as Trinity does so, because the Father sends the Son into this world who takes upon Himself flesh and manifests the inner Trinitarian love toward people. Completely different God. A God with whom you can have relationship because He comes at you as a person who is loved from all eternity or this idol made up in somebody's mind who has no capacity for relationship, it's only submission to the will of Allah with no relationship. And so this, there is in God this community of persons among whom love is manifested. Stanislaw again, the fullest loving going out towards creatures was carried out by God through the incarnation of His Son who assumed human nature. But simultaneously... This, this caught my breath when I read it. The Son filled human nature with His divine love for the Father. Whoa. Human nature was filled with the divine love of the Son for the Father. And so He is able, through our union with Him, through His salvation, His death and resurrection, to begin to plant in us that very love. That's what he prays for. That's what he prays for in John 17, that we would enter into that very love. 
So God is a community of subjects who are fully transparent to each other. That's an example to us, right? It's at one time one, and yet there is relationship. Relation is at the very heart of unity, perfectly interior to one another. In this self-forgetting of each person for the other, perfect love is manifested, and only this makes possible the unity that they have. And that is so interesting because in Philippians chapter 2, the whole stress there is the unity, to be of one mind, one heart. And unity, though, in the next few verses is made up how? It's as you count one another is more important than yourself, as you count others' interests instead of your own. So, so unity is built out of our mutual service to one another and our giving of ourselves to one another, our opening up ourselves to one another, our being transparent with one another. This is just a copy of the life of God in the church so that we are experiencing something of the divine love as it is manifested among us here. The eternal movement, this is uh, T.F. Torrance, the eternal movement of love or the communion of love which is actually taking place within the Trinity. Eternal movement of love that, that they manifest toward one another. And so the very love that we experience with one another is, is manifested in this glorious way. I want to close with this uh, quote by uh, Peter Toon as he talks about how it would manifest itself in our lives. <clears throat> he says this, The Christian understanding of personhood flows from the Christian doctrine of the three persons who are God. So when we see Jesus in Philippians 2, we have to say, this is what God is like. This is the humble God as he presents himself to us. This is the God who is now manifesting the love that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have known. And now this love is being revealed to us. And we can't say that this is, you know, only the, the physical manifestation of this God because He is the expounding of God. He is the exposition of God. This union of love, each seeking the interests of the other, we then follow Him on a creaturely level. There is this revolving circle of glory. The Son is glorified by the Spirit. The Father is glorified by the Son. The Son has His glory from the Father. And the only begotten thus becomes the glory of the Spirit. In like manner, the faith completes the circle. And we glorify the Son by means of the Spirit. And we glorify the Father by means of the Son. So the Father, by forgetting Himself, loves the Son in whom He has placed all His joy. The Son is beloved because He puts off His own eye in order that the Father may be made manifest and the Spirit shine forth. And so for us, we 
have this glorious privilege of knowing this God, this God who has dwelt forever and ever in perfect unity, perfect penetration of one another, perfect getting into each other's interior, uh, a perfect moving out of one another into the other, a perfect glorifying of one another. It's amazing to think that this is God. God is this community. And if His Spirit dwells in us, if His Spirit dwells in the church as a whole, which repeatedly it says this in the New Testament, that you, Paul says, plural, are the temple of God. And if in the Old Testament the glory of God manifested itself in that physical way of shining forth from the temple. Think how the glory of God will manifest itself as He dwells in us. It's very interesting that when in Deuteronomy, God is talking about not having other idols. He talks about their formation in Egypt as a furnace. And it, it carries with it the idea of making an image, okay? The, the very way that images, idols were made. But the wonderful thing is the image that God makes for himself is his people. The image that God makes for himself on earth, there are no images. You are the image. You are the reflection of the divine love among yourselves. And this is what Jesus said in John 17. Make them one, even as we are one, so the world will know that you have sent me. We are the testimony. We are the living out of the gospel. We are the apologetic for the Trinity. You know, the Trinity is like, it's the last thing you want to tell somebody. Oh, yeah, we believe in three, three persons and one God. It's not that important. Let's just talk about Jesus. You know, that kind of thing. Because we're so embarrassed with the Trinity. Let's just push the Trinity out there in front. Let's push it against Islam. Let's push it against any other God that's going. Let's push it out there and say, we are living out that community here. His Spirit dwells among us. He is drawing us to one another. We are living out the very love of God through the blessed work of Jesus Christ. Let's don't hide it. Let's exalt it. Let's praise God for it. Let's honor Him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Lord, we lift You up. We honor You. Oh God, mysterious, difficult to lay hold of. Oh Lord, what a treasure. What a glorious treasure You are to see that at the root of the universe is relationship. The root of our being is relationship. We're not called to isolate ourselves. We, we must not think of ourselves as just individuals on our own track. We, we find our meaning in, in our relationships. We find our, our true personhood in relationship. Lord God, you are a communion. And so, we in our marriages, in our relationship to our children, in our relationship to one another, relationship to others, oh Lord, enable us to be like God, entering into other people's lives, 
not cutting ourselves off, even though we may be fearful, even though we may have been hurt so badly in the past, even though sinful people have trampled on us and we have trampled on people ourselves. Oh, Lord, by your sovereign grace and the indwelling of your spirit, the, the manifestation of the very love of God in, through the spirit, lay hold of our lives so that we enter into one another's lives, so that we sacrifice for one another, so that we serve one another, so that we count one another as more important than ourselves. Lord, so that we copy the very love of the Trinity itself. Bless us, Lord. We thank you that you will do so, for we know that you want to manifest your glory among us. Oh, do so. For, you, for your glory and honor, we pray. Amen. The pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through shades of night and chase my fears away won't you chase my fears away